time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK. Getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. You're, you're constantly figuring out the best way and, and intentional ways to have those conversations and they're tough conversations, but at the end of the day, that is the job is to create a culture where the player understands that you do have their best interests at heart, but you also have a responsibility to the team. And um, there will be conversations that take place where there will be some platooning and there will be some things that sometimes you're hitting first, sometimes you're hitting eighth, whatever the case may be, but it, it's going to be in the spirit of all of it is this is what's best for us to be able to get a W today. That was from Ali Marmol yesterday. He was our guest on the Danny Mac show. Welcome into the Wednesday edition of the program. I'm Dan McLaughlin. That is BK, Brandon Kiley. Uh, a couple of great guests coming up. We're going to visit with Dan Schulman. He is on the call for ESPN Radio. You can hear Game 2 of the World Series tonight, so he'll be our guest in just a bit. And also, uh, we're going to visit with Matt Adams, so uh, looking forward to visiting with those two. BK, good morning. Um, really interesting part of that soundbite that I heard that I want to get into. He said, well, there's some days you could hit first or some days you could hit eighth. And uh, I didn't want to say it yesterday because there's so many different things that I wanted to get into with Ali Marmol and thank him for his time. I thought he came across on the interview just fantastic. Had a lot of response from people I ran into yesterday that heard it, that loved it. Um, when I heard that, I thought Harrison Bader. And I know Bader would love to lead off. And so if you have a lefty coming uh, to face you, Harrison Bader smacks lefties pretty well. Maybe he goes into that spot. Um, what you do with your bench in this offseason, as he kind of alluded to, he even mentioned the San Francisco Giants, which are teams, uh, a team that is always has the interchangeable parts. Maybe that's something to look forward to is what the Cardinals do with their bench this offseason and maybe a style of play next year. Yeah, I think a lot of that makes some sense. Harrison Bader was one guy that immediately came to mind with that, and the other is Tommy Edmond. I think both should apply in that same category. I actually do think Harrison Bader is a really interesting leadoff candidate. Um, we, we haven't really seen that. It's been mostly Tommy Edmond. But if you look at the Cardinals on base percentage from that spot over the last couple of years, it's among the lowest in all of baseball. And that's because Tommy Edmond just doesn't walk a lot, which is fine. He's still a productive major league hitter, but Harrison Bader does walk a little bit more. Yes, it does come with some more strikeouts as well, but I think he makes a lot of sense as a leadoff hitter against left-handed pitching. And he was a lot better this year against righties than he had been in years past as well. But... Maybe you think there's some regression coming there, and so you do start him out batting eighth against right-handed pitching. So this is like 30% of the time that we're talking about. They may still need to go out and get another guy that profiles as a leadoff hitter against right-handed pitching. But if you're willing to do things like this, it opens up other possibilities. The other thing that I would add, Dan, at the end of the quote, he talks about how you have to have the culture in place to be able to do something like this. That's a really important part of these conversations. It's not just, hey, here's what the numbers say. And you're so saying any- buy-in. Essentially, when you're saying culture, that means I buy in as a player to what you're doing as the manager. Communication, going back ways, back and forth. Players telling the manager if they're comfortable with this. Managers explaining why they can be comfortable with it, how it's going to help both the player and also the team going forward. Um, All of that is super important. And he mentioned how that hasn't necessarily been the culture here in St. Louis in recent years. And that's neither good nor bad. It's just different. Um, And I think that is something that, I've had a lot of people ask me over the last few days and weeks, 
Well, who'd you want Mike Schultz to platoon? The answer is nobody. There's not a whole lot of options in the last couple of years that would have been great options for that. But I do wonder if that's the front office building a team for the manager. And now this offseason, if this is something that Marmol wants to do, the front office has to make sure that he's got the pieces to be able to do it successfully. So, you know, my my mind is uh, I jump around a little bit inside. Sure. You would not want to be in this head. <laughs> a lot of things. That, man. Anyway, when I'm listening to you talk, I just started thinking about a bunch of things. I think one of the things that we have to consider is the designated hitter. So now if it's Nolan Gorman, who let's say has a great spring and breaks camp and the, and the club feels comfortable that he's ready to make that move. And he's, by the way, had a very good Arizona Fall League so far. That's a potential DH, second baseman, third baseman. So do you want to give Nolan Arenado some time every once in a while? He played a ton this year. Same with Paul Goldschmidt. Just get them off their feet thinking of, of doing that. That's something to think about. I was thinking of this yesterday. Now, if, if I go out and get Corey Seager, I had an unlimited checkbook, I'd say go get him. I mean, he's a left-handed bat, which you would need in this lineup, and I'd love to see him play short. But if you don't and you're saying, look, we found out last year our defense is really good, so I'm going to put that money and, and go towards some pitching – maybe that uh, that platoon is at short too and if one of the guys takes off he continues to play another area to look at is what's happening with Lars Newpar Lars Newpar is killing it right now in the Arizona Fall League and he can play all three outfield spots that's another guy to think about uh, Yep has is another one he's he, crushing the ball right now down in the Arizona Fall League and BK he can play third first and corner outfield spots so maybe some of these guys are here right now, and that's something to consider when you're trying to put together the team, and I think you're on it 100%. You're going to make the team for the manager in which he has multiple options. And again, this is no disrespect to Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter was not an option last year. He was a one-trick pony that if you came up and it worked where you could get him in a situation where you thought he might have success, then you put him in there and, and let him be a pinch hitter from the left side. To an extent, same thing with Rondon. Rondon was not going to stay in a game and play defense for you. You had better options defensively. But he was that one guy off the bench, and I loved what he did off the bench. And that, and that Especially down the stretch. Yeah, there's a role for that. But if you're going to be one of these teams that is just mixing and matching, boy, you got to have the personnel. And I think that's something to think about as we evaluate and go, well, go out and get a shortstop or go out and get this guy. Well... I don't know. Maybe you have them here, and it's something where you, add, if you added up the collective effort of those that played at short or second or center or whatever, it adds up to that one guy. You know what I mean? And you're not losing a lot defensively when you're double switching or mixing and matching. And I would assume the double switches next year are going to be at a uh, come down from whatever percentage it was this year because you're you're going to have the DH. Yep. So that's going to be a different story. But it is something to consider moving forward with this team. Yeah, and I, I a few weeks ago we had a segment on BK and Ferrario about a few guys that could make some sense for the Cardinals this offseason that would come on the cheap. I mentioned Matt Duffy, who's a 290 hitter in his career against right-handed pitching. He is a right-handed hitter, but he hits righties very well. He has reverse splits that way. Corey Dickerson, a 290 hitter in his career against righties. He's an outfielder that has a they year of being an all-star. A couple of years ago, yeah. And he's a lefty. He can play left field. He can be a DH option for you. He's really good in pinch hit situations. Josh Reddick has been very good against right-handed pitching. Cole Calhoun, I know there are some questions with him, but... Last year, he was a 275 hitter against righties. He is a left-handed hitter as well. There are guys you can go out and get on the open market. Everybody that I just mentioned, 
they're going to be probably less than $5 million for you this offseason. So if you wanted to go get, maybe it's two of them, and have those internal options that you're talking about as well, Dan, and then you go uh, supplement your pitching, maybe that is the best route forward for this team. I would love to see them go get the shortstop. I'm with everybody in our audience that's shouting at their radio right now. No, go pay the money for the shortstop. I get it. I'm with you. But if they end up going this route, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong route. It's just different. Yeah. And it'll take a different form next year. And watching the Braves right now, I do wonder, maybe depth is the right move. Maybe that is the right way to build your roster for the next couple of seasons. And maybe it does allow you a little bit more, a few more outs over the course of the year. This team was very thin in 2021. Maybe they correct that by getting a little deeper in 2022. So coming up, Dan Schulman, the uh, voice of the World Series on ESPN Radio. Again, you can hear that game tonight on 101 ESPN. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. and a swing and a ball hit to deep left field and Atlanta strikes early. Soler lines a rocket into the Crawford boxes and three pitches into game one of the World Series. The Braves have a one to nothing lead. This gets so many ground balls. Now this one is smoked to left and it's gone. Adam Duval sent that one into the Crawford boxes in a heartbeat. And Atlanta touches up Valdez again, and the Braves are now out in front five to nothing. There goes Altuve and a swing and a ground ball to second. Drop picked up by Albies and on to first in time, and the Braves will win it. That's the voice of the World Series on ESPN. Does a great job. One of the best in the business, Dan Schulman, calling the 2021 World Series on ESPN Radio alongside Jessica Mendoza and Eduardo Perez. Game two tonight, you can hear it on 101 ESPN. First pitch at 7.09. You can follow Dan at dschulman underscore ESPN. Uh, Dan, I, I first want to start off with this. Um, I feel really badly for you because, um, you know, the, the fact is Eduardo Perez is never ever in a good mood so it must be really tough to work with him on a nightly basis (laughs) he he is something else um he knows everybody he likes everybody everybody likes him and he got to the ballpark earlier than jess and i did he had some earlier team responsibilities for espn uh got to the ballpark with a little fridge in the back of the booth from the last round he knew that i like to bring in some fruit and have it during the game he loaded up the fridge with fruit from the market near our hotel um, he's that kind of guy. He is legitimately one of those guys that everybody loves. Absolutely. He's a lot of fun. Yeah, Jeff was always in a great mood, too, so it's great. Time. Yeah, when Eduardo was here as a player, it was just uh, it was awesome to be around him. Um, I want to ask you, as a play-by-play guy, you get game one of the World Series, and the first guy steps in, you're kind of setting the scene, you're settling in, you know, getting the lay of the land a little bit, and then boom, Jorge Soler hits that home <laughs> run. Um, what did you think when that immediately happened in the, uh, the first at bat? It just kind of stuns you a little bit because, like you said, you're just getting your, you know, you might even be saying, here are the umpires and here are the distances to the foul, whatever. You're just kind of giving, the, you know, painting the picture a little bit. It's radio, right? So um, it, it was a little bit stunning. It was ball one, ball two, home run. Like that's how, that's how quickly it happened. But I'll, I'll tell you what, that locks you in. As soon as that happens, that gets your adrenaline going, that gets your pulse going. Uh, and all of a sudden, it, it's like a, like a boxing match. And you know, four seconds into the first round, somebody lands a haymaker. That, that gets everybody's attention. So 
right from then it was kind of game on. Dan, you've been doing playoff baseball games for a while now. It, it it always is interesting to me to see who the guys are that step up in the postseason. And for the Braves this postseason, it's been Eddie Rosario. And we saw on the AL side of things, Kike Hernandez was having one of the playoff runs of his life. Last year, we saw Randy Rosarena. Is there any theme, is there anything in common that you can connect with these players that do show out once they get to the playoffs? Is there a playing style? Is there anything that you can use as kind of a through line for these guys? That's a great question. I don't know that there is. It's almost as if fate kind of taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, it's your turn. Like before 2011, and David Freeze was a very good player, but would we have picked him to have been the guy on that team? to step up, and if memory serves, he won NLCS MVP and World Series MVP right in 2011. So um, I don't know that there is. You know, Cody Ross had a year like that. Marco Scudero had a run like that. So sometimes it's unlikely candidates, and and sometimes it's guys like Rosario who are uh, heading into free agency, and maybe they're stepping up at the moment and making the most out of that. And sometimes it's a guy who's been on a team and will continue to be on a team a long time. You know, on the other side, you look at a guy like Alex Bregman, who's had great accomplishments, almost won the MVP a couple of years ago, and he looks totally lost right now. So I think a lot of it is just kind of the natural ebb and flow of sports. And in baseball, confidence is so big. You know, you get a couple of hits, you feel good. You get a couple of hits the next day, you feel a little bit better, and you just ride the wave as long as it lasts. You know, Dan, I uh, was trying to think last night of teams that I've been around, and, and as you know, I've been doing the Cardinals almost you know two and a half decades. I can't remember a team that has completely remade their outfield at, at the trade deadline and then uh, and a bench player and made the World Series. I, I, does any team come to mind that's revamped a lineup like this and made the World Series? No, we talked about it uh, last night a little bit, actually, Dan. And, and you know, Alex Antonopoulos, like you said, he acquired a brand-new outfield plus one. He got uh, – how about a National League GM not only going out and getting the three of them, he got four of them. Yeah. You know, it's it's really amazing. Um, Acuna down with the injury. They weren't getting anything um, out of Heredia, really, offensively. He had a rough couple of months. Marcelo Zuna, domestic violence, charged, uh, administrative leave, hasn't played since. So they needed uh, a brand-new outfield, and I love what he did. Absolutely love it. And so I know Alex from Toronto, right? That's the other side of my life. And Alex Anthopoulos used to be the GM in Toronto. And in 2015, the Blue Jays were kicking around 50-51, and 51-52, and whatever they were. But they were one of these great run differential teams. And Alex said, I think we're better than our record. And he got David Price, and he got Troy Tulowitzki, and he got some others. And the Blue Jays went on this unbelievable run, won the division. Um, he, he thought Atlanta was better than their record. And also, you know, they played in a pretty weak division this year, right? That, that division was there for the taking all year. And Alex said, let's go for it. And I love what he did. He got two right-handed batters, two left-handed batters. So generally three of them are in the lineup, and one comes off the bench, obviously, in the American League Park last night tonight. He could use all four. It was masterful. It was absolutely great. Didn't give up a ton to get them. And, you know, they're not, obviously, they're not in the World Series without those trains. Dan, how much does their hitting staff and their coaching staff in general, how much credit do they deserve for this as well? Because, I mean, you look at some of the guys that they acquired, like Rosario was not hitting when he got to the Braves the way that he had been previously in his career. Jorge Soler was going through what probably will go down as his worst year of his career before getting to the Braves. And then he started hitting bombs left and right. How much credit do they deserve for getting these guys back on track? 
I think you've got to give them a lot of credit. I also think you've got to give the culture they have the credit. I know culture can it's, it can become a cliche and an overused word, but um, you know I get a chance to see a lot of teams, whether it's college basketball or Major League Baseball, and you can feel it when they really believe in each other and they really pull for each other, and it's like a band of brothers and all that sort of thing. Sometimes you hear it and you don't feel it. Sometimes you can feel it, and I think Atlanta has something special going on. And, and, you know, whether Freddie Freeman deserves a lot of that credit or now, unfortunately injured, but Charlie Morton on the pitching side, I think is one of those guys who really helps people bond. And he's a leader and the, you know, the kind of guy that everybody else wants to run through a wall for. So um, I think from Brian Snitker right on down, like, you know, nobody, nobody bleeds more for their organization than Brian Snitker does, right? 45 years in one organization in major league baseball. I don't know if there's any other living person who can say maybe there is, but you know, from minor league player to minor league coach to minor league manager to major league coach to major league manager for a guy who has been there for 45 seasons. I, I think there's uh, a great vibe in that room. And, and I think it probably helps each other. And, and I'll, I, one of the questions I want to ask today is how long did it take for guys like Soler and Rosario and Duvall to feel like they've been there, Duval been there before, but to feel like they've been there, and I bet you the answer is going to be like two days. Like on day two, it felt like they've been there the whole season, and it, and I think that matters. I'm a big believer in all that savvy, sentimental hmm. chemistry stuff when it comes to baseball. He's one of the best. Dan Schulman calling the World Series on ESPN Radio with Jessica Mendoza, Eduardo Perez. Again, game two tonight on 101 ESPN, first pitch at 7.09. I am really curious, and I'm going to throw some numbers at you, Dan, because you've done a lot of postseason baseball, and I really feel the last five years, baseball has changed more than maybe in the last five decades or 100 years. But uh, of the 64 starters, openers used this postseason, 21 have now failed to complete three innings. 30 have failed to complete four. 38 have failed to get through five. So you have a guy like Brian Snicker where and Dusty where the game has completely changed. You've been around the game a long time. What are your thoughts on that, where it's gone away from the traditional way that we watched baseball as kids to now seeing the openers and the numbers bear it out, they're just not going very deep? Yeah, yeah I think I'd be similar to a lot of people my age, which is 54. You know, you kind of, like I remember, you know, hearing the old statement coming up here i remember as a teenager you know opening up the newspaper to see who the starting pitchers were and that was exciting you know what i mean like ooh, it's it's carlton and siever or it's pom what whoever that that's sort of more recently than that into the 80s and the 90s you know through the glavin smoltz maddox era and stuff like that baseball has changed and it's never going to go all the way back to the way it was and i understand that um, and I also understand, you know, at, at my uh, at my roots, I'm kind of a math geek. I was a statistics and actuarial science major in in, in university, so like I'm not uh, immune to the numbers and, and and their impact as well. But I, I do think it's gone a little bit too far. I, I and, and that's another thing that I like about what Brian Snitker did, and he did it with his relievers, not with his starter. But he doesn't just use guys for three outs. He doesn't just use guys. You know, left on left, right on right. He says, that's my best guy. I trust that guy. I'm going to throw him out there and let him do his thing. And I think there's value there. I think too many other teams get caught up in not letting their guys see if they can do it, whether it's the third time through the order for the starter or the, the second inning for the reliever or whatever it is. And then when you need them to do it, they can't because they've never done it before. They haven't done it enough. So, um, you know, seeing starters go two and a third, two and two thirds, it's tough. Now, last night, extenuating circumstances, Morton got hurt. 
and Valdez had to come out of that game, right? Like if it was June, Valdez was coming out of that game. So uh, I, I think last night was a little bit different, but I, I would like to see guys pushed a little bit further. I, I mean, there was a day, you guys know this well, you'd get into a playoff series and you'd know before the series who the starters were. It was this guy for one and five, this guy for two and six, this guy for three and seven, and that guy for four. That's the way it worked always. Now you'll ask a manager before game three, who's your starter for game four. And he'll say, well, let's see how game three goes. So, you know, um, and part of this too, I want to believe is going from the 60 to the 162. I think we all knew this would be a very tricky year for guys coming off of last year. So I'm hoping there's a little bit of, you know, kind of regression to the mean next year. Now that guys have had a full season under their belt, but you know, the days of, complete games there uh those are few and far between dan the final question that i have for you and i feel like i've been underrating this braves team probably all season but definitely in the playoffs i never gave them a chance to get to where they are now and now i'm i'm watching them go up one nothing in the world series and i'm like man this feels very unlikely like i i'm just stunned that the the braves really could win the world series this year does it feel that way to you or is that me being unfair to this braves team and the collection of talent that they currently have so in the last round, I did the American League side, right? I did I did Houston and Boston. So on whatever day it was, Saturday, Sunday, um, whenever the Braves won, that was my day to dive in and say, okay, let's get to know this team because I had not done them in the playoffs. And the first line in every article, every story that I read was, 51 and 55 of the trade deadline, Anthopolis acquires four outfielders. They go 37 and 18 the rest of the way. And I go, wow, 37 and 18. That's, that's pretty good. Um, so I looked at them, I always looked at them as more than an 88-win team. They weren't good for four months, but when they got those outfielders, when Max Fried got hot, had a great second half, the bullpen got better, Minter came back from the minors, Will Smith got better. I thought they were a fundamentally different team in September than they were in April, May. Um, and I, I put a lot into that 37 and 18. That's a pretty good chunk of time to get hot and stay hot. So... Um, now, did I think they'd beat the Dodgers? You know, the Dodgers were wounded coming into the and, – and I know Atlanta lost Sorokin and Acuna, but they lost them early enough where they could try to figure it out. The Dodgers lost Kershaw late, Muncie late, Turner in the series. Uh, Scherzer, uh, you know, impacted by what uh, pitching and relief. Urias, you know, they had problems right in the moment. Atlanta had figured out their problems and had dealt with them. So – uh, I always looked at Atlanta as more than an 88-win team and kind of put them on equal footing with the other teams. And and, and I got asked last night, I did a, uh, a show with somebody, and they said, who do you like? And I said, I'm really not sure. I, I think it's close. I think it's seven. But I, I really don't know that Houston is, is that much better. If Atlanta's bullpen is going to be as good as it was in the last round, I think Atlanta can has a chance to win this. Now, losing Morton, obviously, that hurts. That hurts a lot. But if this is if this is who Framber Valdez is going to be, then Houston's got just as big of an issue as Atlanta's got. So sorry for the long answer, but I I, I think they're good. I think they can go toe to toe with the Braves, even with the Morton injury, with the uh, Astros rather, even with the Morton injury. Dan, final question: uh, Ten years ago tonight. David Freeze, Game 6, uh, you were behind the mic. Obviously, it's uh, still embedded in our memories here in St. Louis. It's one of the great stories in sports ever in this town. What are your recollections of that night being behind the mic of that uh, that great game? So, it, it was my first World Series for ESPN Radio. And, and I don't know, honestly, that I've ever been more excited to do anything. 
you know, my first Blue Jay game, because that was my first major league game, was huge. My first ESPN game, my first Sunday night game, my first Duke Carolina game. Like, all of these things mean a lot to me. But I don't know that anything meant more than doing my first World Series. And I was nervous, too. I mean, John Miller had done it forever, and, and those are big shoes to fill. So we get into the World Series. I've having, I'm having the time of my life. Now we come to Game 6. The two things I remember, <laughs> when... When Freeze hits the triple in the ninth inning, and you guys would know better than me, there's some obviously advertising signage on the wall. Nelson Cruz goes back. Whatever the advertising signage was right behind Cruz, there's some white in the sign. And for a fraction of a second, I lose the ball. I cannot see it. And you know this, Dan. When the ball gets hit, some, some announcers look at the monitor. Some look at the field. Some just kind of figure it out on the fly, depending where the ball is hit and where you're most comfortable. I don't remember where I was looking. I think I was looking out at the field, and I lost the ball for just a fraction of a second. And I've heard the call since, and I'm just a little bit late because if Cruz catches the ball, the World Series is over. If it goes over his head, they tie the game. So, like, you want to talk about breaking out in a cold sweat in a heartbeat. <laughs> that, that's what happened to me during the triple. And, you know, as I've always tried to tell myself, it's better to be a little bit late than wrong. So I was a little bit late there. The home run Obviously, there was no doubt about it in the 11th inning. And that might be my favorite moment as a broadcaster in the zillion years that I've been doing this. I, I, I got a chance to call Jose Bautista the bat flip home run in the playoffs. And being a Toronto guy, I called it for ESPN radio, but being a Toronto guy, that meant a lot to me, too. But those are the two that really stand out to me. I, I mean, it was such an incredible night. You know, the fans are, are, I love coming to St. Louis. The fans are so great there. The ballpark was rocking, obviously. And, you know, the back and forth, people forget about the Hamilton home run. People forget about the Berkman base hit. The the last three innings of that game were just uh, on another level. And it's a, it's a night I'll never forget. Yeah. You nailed it every single time, Dan. I got to tell you that you're the best in the games. Thanks for doing this. Uh, good game too, in the rest of the world series. And we'll have you tuned in tonight. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate that. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you guys soon. You got it. That's Dan Schulman. And again, he's calling the uh, World Series uh, for ESPN Radio alongside Jessica Mendoza and Eduardo Perez. Game two tonight on 101 ESPN. The first pitch at 7.09. So we're going to have that for you uh, coming up. So that is a, uh, a postseason memory. And another one is Matt Adams. Matt Adams is a guy that uh, provided some really good postseason memories for the Cardinals, too. And he's coming up. But uh, love listening to Dan Schulman. Dan Schulman's great, and one thing, just really quickly here, that he said that is interesting to me about the Braves is how, you know, the the NL East was there for the taking, and so they went ahead and they took it. I do wonder, Dan, and there's no way to know, I wonder what this season would have looked like down the stretch for the Cardinals if they were in the NL East instead of the NL Central. If that division was there for the taking and they ended up playing what's called the Brewers in the NLDS instead of having to play that one-game setting with the Dodgers, I think there is a chance. I don't know this to be true, obviously. I think there is a chance that we're watching the Cardinals tonight in Game 2 of the World Series if they were in the NL East instead of having to play in that wild card game. I really felt that the momentum was going in the direction of the Cardinals so much that if they won against the Dodgers that night, I think they're in the World Series. I agree. I really felt that way. They just had so much momentum going into that postseason, and that's why it puts a premium on winning your division. So you don't have to play that winner-take-all. And the Cardinals have even talked about that. They they said, basically, we got to go in too late, had to play the winner-take-all and lose that game. Um, But that's what makes this offseason, I think, exciting for the team. In the fact that you your your base your the guys that you have currently under contract that you know are coming back got it done. 
So add some pieces and see where they go. Yeah, the foundation is there. Now it's about building around them, and they've got every opportunity to do that this offseason. Our thanks to Dan Schulman. Coming up, we'll visit with Matt Adams. That's next on 101 ESPN. Freeze leading it off. Crowd in a frenzy. 3-2, a swing and a high fly ball. Center field. It is gone! David Freeze, who tied it in the ninth, wins it in the 11th. In one of the most remarkable, improbable baseball games you will ever see. And there's going to be baseball here in St. Louis. Game 7 tomorrow night. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. iconic moments in recent playoff history here in St. Louis, delivered by Matt Adams against Clayton Kershaw. This is like the uh, the Goosebumps Hour, listening to Shulman's call of David Freeze, and now that one with Matt Adams, who joins us now. And Matt, always great to hear your voice. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Uh, you hear that? You've seen it a million times. Goosebumps every time for you? Yeah. Love... Uh... It's always a good one to, to tune back into and just rewatch and, you know, feel all the excitement. Uh, like you said, goosebumps and just reliving that moment. It's pretty, pretty cool. How you doing? Uh, what are you up to these days? Uh, we saw you come through St. Louis with the uh, Colorado uh, Rockies. And you're getting a standing O every time. You get a standing O every time you come back to St. Louis, your fan favorite. So uh, what are you doing these days and, and probably getting geared up to, you know, make another go of it for the baseball season next year? Yeah, do uh you know just uh start my off season program uh training um you know getting the body right for you know preparing to play in 2022. That's the goal and I feel like I got a lot left in the tank so going to you know pour it out there and put my work in this off season and be ready to go for next year. Matt, you're always a good postseason player. We're watching the World Series right now. And I'm curious, what goes into being a guy that can perform at a high level in the postseason? Are there certain qualities that, that you think go into that? Well, I think the the main thing is being able to, you know, take the label off of it. Yes, you're on the biggest stage possible playing for a championship, but, you know, I feel like, the best advice I've gotten from, you know, some of my teammates that have played this game a long, long time is treat the playoff games like um, just another game. You know, don't don't put any added stress, added pressure on yourself. Go out there and do what you're what you can do and um, have that confidence and carry that with you. You know some of those guys uh, on that field on both sides, but uh, you played in Atlanta. Um, have you had a chance to connect with some of those guys and, and just do you, do you pass along some of the things that you're telling us right now? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I've, I've chatted with uh, Freddie a few times, wished him uh, the best, and just really, really happy for that, for that guy. Everything he's done for the Braves organization and just the, the type of guy he is to, for him to finally be able to playing the World Series uh, with a team that signed them and, and brought them up, I, I think it's pretty special. But um, not really, 
you know, talking too much advice with those guys. Those guys are focused and um, they got a task at hand. So they're they're locked and loaded with their their mindset on the games. And I'm just sitting back watching them and, and hoping for the best. Matt, as you can imagine, we've talked a lot about managers here in baseball over the last week or two. Um, what is it that makes Brian Snitker a successful manager in your mind? I think um, just the the baseball IQ that that guy has. He he's fully prepared uh, before the game starts. Does his homework. Um, you know what he wants, uh, what lineup he wants to put together. All those all those good things. But I think the the main thing that that helps him so much is he stays even to the highs and the lows. You know, you look in the dugout when the guys score five runs, he's got the same demeanor as. You know, if one of his pitchers goes out there and, and gives up five runs, I think that's a big trait for a lot of good managers is to just, you know, even as players to, to try to stay as even keel as possible through the ups and downs. Ali Marmol is now the 51st manager in Cardinals history. Uh, you know, Ali, well, what did you think of that move and how do you think he'll do here in St. Louis? Yeah, I was, uh, was really, really happy for the guy. I think, you know, like Snitty, he's a great baseball guy. A lot, a lot of knowledge, um, and you know he's he's a cardinal. So I think uh, for him to be able to put the birds on the bat um, uniform on and, and go out there and manage the team, I, I think it's huge. And and I think he's I think he's going to do great. He he prepares himself, and you know he he wants the team to win. So he he's going to do everything in his power to, to put the best uh, lineup out on the field and, and let the guys go play. Matt, what's it like as a player when you have a managerial change? If I'm not mistaken, you were here when when the Cardinals switched to Mike Schilt in 2018, right? Yeah, I got traded uh, um, right at the uh, the tail end of of that, right before they named him. I uh, took the interim label off of him, the manager. I, I think it's uh, I think it's tough. I, I think you know there, there's no sugarcoating it. I think to have a new guy come in and, and run a team, I, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of work that goes into it, but I think all these up to the, for the task. And um, I think it takes a special guy to, to be able to hit the ground running. And, and I think he's a, a really good fit for that. Yeah. And I mentioned, you know, Ollie, well, he seems to be, and I know Ollie well, and so I, I don't think I'm making an outlandish statement here, but he, he really does seem to be um, a people person and a player's type manager. Are there going to be tough conversations and decisions that guys don't like? Of course, that's being a manager or coach in sports. But it does seem like he would command the room and that the players would have the ultimate respect for what Ollie's trying to do. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, you that guy walks in the room, and I, I think everybody respects him from the get-go. Um, just just like you said, just for the, the type of guy that he is um, and how he just wants everybody to do good. And... I, I'm like I, I can't say it enough. I'm I'm happy for the guy, and and really really looking forward to to what he can do. Matt, I, I'm curious what what is it that makes a successful manager in your mind? Like what are the qualities for for a for a big league player now that makes a successful manager in this modern version of baseball that we're all watching? Well, I, I think uh, one was already said. I, I think you've got to be a people person. You've got to be able to, to get along with all sorts and types of, of players. And I think you've got you to have, I mean, it's, it's going to sound a little childish, but I, I think you've got to have good listening skills to, 
to what the players are saying, what the players need, um, and just how you can incorporate that clubhouse into becoming as much as a family as possible. I think that's a big key for managers to, to get everybody on board um, as a family because, I, I, you know, you look at the, the baseball season, we're away from our, you know, real families nine out of 12 months of the year. So that those 30, 35 guys inside that clubhouse, that has, those have to be your brothers and you got to go to battle with them. And, and I think having a good person at the helm um, takes it a long way. All he mentioned with us yesterday as we were talking with him at the importance in his mind of having a former player, somebody that has street cred within that uh, clubhouse, a, a guy that can be a, a player's voice almost as his bench coach in your mind, how important is that? What what value does it bring to have a guy like, for example, Matt Holiday or Skip Schumacher, if they were potentially candidates, as the bench coach for Ali Marmol this upcoming season? I think it's huge. Uh, I mean, Ali's got he's got coaching experience, he's got managerial experience, but I think, like you said, having having somebody next to him that he can trust, that he can lean on, he can bounce questions off, off of, that also has a lot of uh, baseball experience and baseball knowledge. I, I think that's huge. So I think, uh, I think ex players do a good job in the bench, uh, you know, the bench coach role, even managerial role, because they, they get the game. They, they understand it. They know what it takes day in and day out. And, um, just think it's, I think it's huge. I'm really curious, Matt. You, you've had a, a fantastic career um, and in a variety of roles. I mean, Teams have said, man, we got to get his bat in there. So you play left field, you play third base, you play first base. And a lot of it was pinch hitting. And we hear always so much how analytics are a part of the game. So if you're a pinch hitter and that that certain pitcher's coming out of the bullpen to face you, um, and you've already looked at the video, you've seen you know an ungodly amount of numbers, how do you process all that as a hitter to just say, let's get it back to basics and put bat on the ball and do what I'm supposed to do? Yeah, I, I think you gotta, um, I mean, I'm not real, I'm not a real big analytical guy myself. Like I, I love some of the stuff. I think there may be a little too much out there right now that um, just for me personally, like I, I start thinking too much if I, Try sure. focusing on all the all like every single number. So, I think you know as a pinch hitter, you know you're, you're like you said, you're doing your homework, you're doing the video beforehand, knowing who's coming into the game. I think the big thing is if is if you face the guy before, you try to replay those at bats in your mind of you know what it, what how did he attack me and did I get a hit or not and kind of go back to you know replaying those at bats what pitches he threw, what counts, and just kind of going off that, the the like the human feel of the game, facing a guy that, you know, you may have faced before. Uh, I think that goes, you have to, you have to have both. Combination of both analytics and, you know, going off the human nature of the game as well. Matt, one of the things that Ollie has talked a lot about in, in recent days is potentially using platoons, using the splits, right? So a left-handed bat like yourself, pairing that with a righty, depending on who the matchup is on any given day. Can you bring us inside of the clubhouse a little bit on what those conversations are like with a manager or a bench coach or whoever you're talking with about, hey, uh, in these situations, it's going to be player X. On these situations, it's going to be you. What are those conversations like with the manager? 
Uh, I mean, they're they're good. You you just want you hope that um, there's there's a good line of communication between um, whoever you're communicating that with and yourself. You just want you just want the truth. You want to know, hey, if you know if a righty comes in, it's, I'm going to be the first lefty bat off the bench. Or if you know the night before, if they're throwing a righty, you want to know that you're going to be in there so you can prepare. So I think just the conversations, you know, they change on a day-to-day basis, but the the underlying fact is just making sure that you have a good line of communication between the two people. Matt, I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, you're living in St. Louis. What's keeping you busy outside of getting ready for uh, baseball in the upcoming season? <laughs> we are uh, we're actually in the middle of a move right now. We just sold our house, so we're uh, we've been packing up the old house and moving into the new house the last few days, so that's what's keeping me busy lately. But you know, Blues are back in town, and uh, really, really excited to you know get down to the Enterprise Center and cheer those guys on. Awesome stuff, man! Always great to catch up, Matt. And uh, don't be a stranger. Thanks for doing this. All right, thank you, guys. Have take care. You got Appreciate it. You. That's uh, Matt Adams. I love Matt Adams. Big City was always one of my favorites. Knew him as a minor leaguer, then saw the success at the major leagues, and uh, you go, you know, he's been with a couple of different teams um, multiple times, and that doesn't happen unless you're a good teammate. Now, you got to have talent because they, they want you for a role, but you also have to be able to fit in. And, you know, they know you as well as anybody, and they trade for you again and bring you back in, which has happened here in St. Louis. And that's because you're a good guy. You're a good teammate. You're you're somebody you want around. So that's why you last that long in the big leagues like he has. Yeah, and whether it be Matt Adams or somebody like Matt Adams, the Cardinals could really use a player like that going yes. into next year where uh, a platoon at DH slash first base, like the, the corner thumper. outfield, somebody like that would make a lot of sense for them going into this offseason. Uh, you have three hours coming up. Now, no Blues game tonight, so we do have the World Series first pitch at 7.09, but uh, what do you got coming up on your show? Yeah, so opening things up, we're going to react a little bit to what we saw last night and what we've seen so far in the postseason and how how it applies to the Cardinals. Dan, there's something about, and I've asked Matt Adams about this, I asked Dan Schulman about it, there's something about the guys that are performing at a high level in this postseason. They're completely unafraid. And I think that we should talk about that as it relates to what the Cardinals decided to do this offseason. We'll get into that coming up at the top of the hour. We will also talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, coming up at 11.15. All right, that was a fun show. Dan Schulman, Matt Adams, and for BK, I'm Danny Mack, and I'll be with Randy tomorrow at 7 right here on 101 ESPN.